Hey, have you heard the Virginia Lottery has a new Willy Wonka Golden Ticket Scratcher that has a top prize of $100,000? Tell that to my automated Golden Ticket Scratcher apparatus. You simply put the ticket in here, and the machine scratches it for you. And while we wait, we can play the Willy Wonka Golden Ticket online game with a top prize of $1 million. Just visit VALottery.com or use the lottery app. That's one impressive scratcher apparatus. Use it whenever. What's mine is yours. But hands off the scratcher. That Willy Wonka Golden Ticket is all mine. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today let the word go forth fool me once are you fired up i'm not a crook are you ready to go shame on shame on you it's abe lincoln's top hat hosted by ben kissel boom you can't get fooled again Uh, all right welcome to the show everyone i am ben kissel that's marcus parks the RNC convention is going on this week. It's a Comic-Con for people who are even larger nerds. It's <laughs> phenomenal. I can't believe what we've seen thus far. Um, recently, Chris Christie gave a speech, and, uh, man, he was he's sweating bullets, not happy to be there. You get the feeling he really doesn't like Donald Trump all that much. No. But Chris Christie, like many people in the Republican Party, uh, are officially having to come to terms with Donald Trump being their nominee. It's unbelievable. It is uh, between him and uh, soon-to-be Hillary to be the next president of the United States. I got the news alert on my telephone from CNN, and I couldn't help but think, what if I was in a coma for 20 years? <laughs> and, I, and I wake up, and first of all, my question, my first question is, like, what is this alien device that I can touch and it reacts to my finger? And then it says Donald Trump has just been nominated by a national political party to be the next president of the United States. I think I would have asked the doctor to put me back down. <laughs> Could I just fall asleep for another 20 years and wait until Tim Tebow becomes president? Oh, or Peyton Manning, who I would actually like to see. Peyton's a good guy. Let's go for Peyton. Come on. Yes, I saw him at Pat, Sum- uh, Pat Summit's funeral. He gave a great speech. I watched it on the plane while we were flying down uh, to beautiful Los Angeles for a live last podcast on the left. You have not been able to stop talking about this Pat Summerall funeral. <laughs> it's possible I cried on the plane. It's possible Party Row got a little bit sad when Pat Summit's beautiful son went up there and talked about how uh, amazing uh, Pat Summit was as a mother. And you know what, Pat Summit, she had cancer. And people said, how are you doing it, Pat? And she said, right foot, left foot, breathe. Aww. Isn't that powerful? And that's what she did. Left foot, right foot, breathe. So everybody out there freaking out right now about the potential of a Donald Trump presidency, Right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, until you get to Canada. And then you can breathe. Chris Christie told Jeb and John Kasich. John Kasich, of course, did not attend the convention, even though it's in his home state of Ohio. Oh, yeah. uh, Which was a huge, huge slap in the face uh, to Donald Trump. He slapped the orange paint right off of his cheeks. And Jeb Bush and the Bush family, obviously, uh, not able to come around to the idea of a President Trump. It definitely doesn't help uh, Trump's cause to get Jeb and the Bush family support. He spent the first 
part of Monday at the RNC convention dissing all over the bushes, which was why I kind of fell in love with him in the first place. If you only focus on what Trump says solely about the Bush family, <laughs> he's probably the greatest politician that's ever lived. Well, George Bush, uh, close friends say that he, uh, in private, is worried that he will be, quote, the last Republican president. Yes, and I believe that he will be. As a matter of fact, George, H., uh, George W. Bush was told that. Uh, that he might be the last Republican president because I think they're seeing the erosion of the Republican uh, Party, specifically when it comes to the uh, the base of evangelical support and social conservatism, because, of course, Donald Trump is not the embodiment of what social conservatives thought their party w was. Yeah. And you can see that if you look no further than one of my personal favorites. Oh, by the way, just going back to Chris Christie really quick, with Jeb Bush and John Kasich, he said publicly... I was telling John Kasich, I was telling Jeb, we got a choice between chicken and fish here. So every <laughs> single time Jeb Bush, every time Christie comes up with an analogy, it's all about what he wants to eat at a wedding. <laughs> chicken or fish here. I don't know who's the fish and who's the chicken. I suppose uh, the fish might be Hillary in that situation. Uh, so Melania, she got into a bit of trouble because her speech was mildly plagiarized by a speech given by Michelle Obama in 2008. And of course, Melania, if you want to Google image her, please do. And you will spend at least three and a half minutes to four and a half minutes on that Google image page before you don't have to look at it anymore. And you can go back to watching sports or whatever it is you do. Maybe uh, researching aliens, for example. <laughs> Not the embodiment of the. She's not a. She's not a Laura Bush. No. She's not a Barbara Bush. No. Some not would, really a Nancy Reagan type. <laughs> some would say undignified. She is very dignified. <laughs> I've seen the photos. I've watched the documents. I've seen the documents. She is very dignified for a first lady. Not sure if oh my she's the best choice. Oh, don't get me started. She's the best part of Trump. His <laughs> his third wife, a beautiful third wife. She's got some saucy pictures out there. <laughs> Very saucy. Uh, and uh, so she gave a speech. Some of it was plagiarized from Michelle Obama's speech in 2008. And this is one comparison. You know, people used to criticize uh, Barack Obama for being the celebrity candidate. Uh, and, of course, the Republicans are ironically silent when it comes to Donald Trump being their nominee. He is a true celebrity. Yeah. And, of course, people de demonized Michelle Obama for being a little bit too hot. I heard those rumors. Mm -hmm. She's too sexy to be a first lady. <laughs> and now we have a real celebrity and a true supermodel. Yeah. Uh, uh, that is potentially the first lady. So she got in trouble for plagiarizing a little bit of uh, uh, Michelle's speech in 2008. And it was obviously not written by her. It was written by this woman. Uh, Meredith McIver. Yeah, to be fair to uh, Melania, she did not write the speech. I don't think we should say that she plagiarized the speech. No, she did not. She just read the words that were written for her. Meredith McIver plagiarized the speech. Yes, yeah, she was a... And, but, of course, like you were saying before the show, Marcus, political campaigns represent how a person... or organizes how they would be a leader what yeah. what 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 would their leadership style be and these political conventions are one of the great indicators of how well does this person organize and not just who how they organize but who they hire uh, because yes. if he can't hire a speechwriter for one of the keynote speeches of the convention if he can't hire someone that can't write a speech without plagiarizing from past speeches then who is he going to pick for secretary of state who's he going to pick uh, for these huge positions well, hopefully someone who doesn't plagiarize McNamara, because we can't go to <laughs> Vietnam again, for crying out loud. Uh, yeah. So, But 
I think it was a little bit blown out of proportion, and I have to stand up for Melania. I must do it because English, you know, is five languages. I barely know one language. I speak English, but only if you have, with a mid, Midwest accent. I can't even get an East Coast, uh, East Coast <laughs> accent going on over here. English is her fourth language. She was so nervous to give this speech. I mean, you could imagine not just a political speech, but a political speech in such a polarizing place. Yeah. With English being certainly not your first language, not your second, not your third, but I believe it was the fourth language she learned out of the five that she knows. So I'm going to go a little Chris Crocker here. Leave Melania alone. <laughs> Just leave her alone. I will I will agree that she's got an unfair amount of, of hate for this because she, although she did say that she wrote the speech with as little help as possible. Yeah, as little, as little help as possible. Someone else wrote the whole speech. I'm surprised she didn't have somebody go give the speech for her. That would have been as much help as possible. Yeah. So poor Melania. Uh, other than that, the convention has been going off fairly peacefully. In my personal opinion, if you look at the protesters outside, they had it all kind of worked out where they were, they were very corralled. They're about a mile away from the convention center. They can get kind of close, but not really. You you can barely get in within shouting distance. From what I understand, that was sort of the, that's kind of the rule of thumb. You have a right to protest. And uh, in order to ensure that that right is being practiced by law. I think you have to be within shouting distance of a uh, of the convention center. I swear to God, a cop said that. <laughs> I swear to God. I don't know if that's true or not, but yeah. that's what he said. I just want to be there enough so I could, like, you know, take a bite of my fingernail and flick it out of my tongue. <laughs> Maybe hit a politician in the face with it. That's worse than getting shoes thrown at you. Just a big thumbnail? Yes. Yeah, oh, my God. Did you throw your thumbnail at me? <laughs> it's like Shakespeare. Yes, I throw my thumbnail at you, sir. <laughs> it's a much more disgusting thing than biting your thumb. I would much prefer someone bite their thumb, theoretically injure themselves, to tell me that they don't like me, than have them bite a fingernail off and throw it at my face. That sounds awful. So, uh, and of course, uh, Donald Trump Jr., he was, there was also some speculation that he had done a little bit of plagiarism himself. But the great irony is the speech, again, written for Donald Trump Jr., which is what these politicians, all these speeches are written by other people. Yeah. If you're a stand-up comedian, you cannot have, occasionally you'll get a writer if you're extremely famous. For the most part, you do not have someone writing your entire hour monologue, your entire hour special. So it's very interesting. These politicians get every... Um, Every uh, assistance that they can possibly buy. And they still fail half the damn time. Oh, yeah. Man, Donald Trump Jr., that guy gets jazzed. He gets very jazzed. Yeah, I mean, he looks like he's uh, on coke Uh, quite a bit. Yeah, he looks like he's about to throw a chainsaw down a stairwell and hit a stripper (laughs) that he hired that night. He's very American psycho. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's always got the bug eyes. He talks very fast. He's got the, I don't know, the stutter, the coke stutter, and he's Mm -hmm. always sweating a lot, and he's very red-faced, and he's a very skinny man. He's a Trump. I'm not saying saying Donald Trump Jr. is a cokehead. Right. I'm not saying that, Ben. I mean, I think that he is, right? <laughs> uh, if I was him, I would be. You're Donald Trump Jr. Do you have any idea how fun it would be to just a... <laughs> oh, have I mentioned I own the Upper West Side? I'm Donald Trump Jr. Oh, every morning. Every morning. Right before the aftershave and the cold shower. 
Uh, of course. So uh, he, but so he was criticized for possibly plagiarizing the speech. It turns out the speech was written by this fellow F. H. Buckley, who is a descendant of William F. Buckley, <sighs> and uh, so he, so Buckley came out and defended Trump Jr. being like, "I wrote the speech. That's why it was taken from something else that I said previously." Because I guess he's also kind of a lazy writer. He couldn't come up with a new creative thought. So obviously you guys know a lot about what's going on at the RNC. We won't catch you up to date on everything, but uh, there's been a lot of discussion about the GOP platform. And you know, you just hear the GOP platform and people will occasionally throw out, you know, random sentences in it that are, are a bit ludicrous or maybe a sentence that they like. But today we're going to go through the six tenets of the GOP platform and just hit on some of the uh, the key parts to us. So there are there, the six main sections are entitled Restoring the American Dream. Uh, then there's one called We the People. Ooh. That's going to plagiarize too, isn't it? <laughs> it's a bit stolen from something I can recall. <laughs> there's another one called America's Natural Resources. Uh, another one, Reforming Government. Another one, Renewing American Values. And finally... American exceptionalism. Mm, aren't we special? It's amazing the people who are so into an American, who are so into American exceptionalism, and I don't necessarily disagree with the idea of them loving this country. I mean, this country has done some great things globally, a couple of bad things too. Mm. But we, we have been um, a, a, a revolutionary nation when it comes to the idea of power to the people, power to the states, and get, getting the federal government out of your life. So we're batting above five hundred. We're above five. We're good. <laughs> we're, we're Babe Ruth when he's just kind of drunk, not totally drunk. <laughs> I think, he, I think he was better when he was trashed. Yeah. That's what I heard about the babe. He would say three N-words, <laughs> then he would slam a pitcher of beer, and then he would call his own home run. And I've been mentioning Babe Ruth a lot lately. <laughs> only, only when he was trashed. All right, so the first one that we'll hit on here, just really quick, uh, let's get to the American dream, economy and jobs. Mm. So they want to do job creation, getting Americans back to work, small business and entrepreneurship. This is very classic, uh, very classic GOP. This also ties into their not liking of Obamacare because they believe that uh, it, it inhibits businesses. Uh, what is it, 49 uh, people or upward of 200 people? Either way, there's a there's a limit to how, how many people you can hire before you have to start giving them health insurance. And they believe that that limit then creates these companies or forces these companies to maintain small as opposed to um, allowing them to grow and become you know, the next Walmart, which is really, in theory, the pinnacle of the American dream. American competitiveness in a global economy. You look at the situations with TPP. Theoretically, the, the irony is Donald Trump and against TPP. That is the point of TPP was to maintain our global status uh, in, in order to ensure. And we have to do that. And, and to do that, we have to ensure borderline slave labor yeah. by other countries so we can continue to get our Chinese made flags for 99 cents. Well, if I'm OK, but I bet this is I actually don't know this. Maybe you do. Didn't the TPP, didn't that have to be uh, put through Congress? Didn't that have to be voted on to be yeah, stated? Well, we talked about this. TPP was passed. First of all, it failed. Number right. one, when people, were, when people were focused on it and they were calling their Congress um, person and they were, we don't want TPP passed. It's going to take away jobs from this country and it absolutely will. Gay marriage passes in the Supreme Court. That night, everyone's celebrating. The White House is in a rainbow color. Everyone is ecstatic that this nation finally has equal rights for gay people, and rightfully so. That was the night. And this was on purpose. They knew no one was paying attention, specifically the left-leaning people who were against TPP mm -hmm. were not paying attention. And this is why identity politics are so nefarious on so many levels, because then the government is able to be like, we gave them gay marriage. Let's pass this massive trade bill. 
that's going to completely screw over a huge portion of this country. Well, wasn't that passed by Republicans, though? It was passed by both. Yeah, it was passed. I mean, so this is a that was a full bipartisan bill. Yes. Because I, I remember hearing during one of the speeches uh, on, I think it was Monday, maybe Monday or Tuesday, where someone came out against totally. TPP, there, where they said, like, this is a, a bad deal. And they it was yep. a part of the platform that TPP was uh, bad for America. It's one and of the- yet... It was voted. It was a bipartisan issue that was uh, passed by Republicans and Democrats. It's one of those things that Donald Trump took away from the left. You know how Trump, and, then, and that's one of the other great ironies of people talking about the plagiarism with Melania Trump. This is what the whole campaign is about: is picking and choosing. There's a certain Nixonian uh, feel to Trump right mm-hmm. now. Um, you know, you have uh, "Let's make America great again." Let's make it. Let's make America great again. Was the campaign or make America great again is Trump's. Let's make America great again was Reagan's campaign. Yeah, I mean everything is sort of stolen from another um, political ideology. It's a hodgepodge. It's a it's a quilt of political ideology. So that is one of the areas where Trump has differed with the Republican Party when he comes out against TPP. Is he against TPP? I highly doubt it in reality because a lot of his goods are made overseas. Yeah, I mean all the Trump ties, Trump suits, those are all made in China. Mm, but you can't get him at Jose Bank. <laughs> Love Jose Bank. Uh, they want to rein in federal uh, spending, out-of-control spending, balancing the budget, which is something that the Republican Party has promised to do for a very long time. Obviously, in 2000, we had a surplus, and the entire thing went to hell because of their foreign policy, specifically when it comes to the, uh, to the wars overseas. You know, $19 trillion in debt between the, between the left, um, you know, constantly p- uh, putting money into uh, failed programs, and the right putting nonstop funds into the military. It was both of them together that put us in this awful situation. So we'll see if the uh, Republican Party can actually balance the budget if they continue to act in such a hawkish way. Right. I mean, and I mean, I know that that, that you know Republicans always talk about less spending and uh, you know having balancing the budget. I mean, isn't it? fairly common for a Republican president to come out of their term with an unbalanced budget with us in debt because Clinton was the one that came out with a balanced budget and we came out with a surplus. Reagan's rhetoric was completely opposite of what he did. Talking about how we need government out of your life. Smaller government is better government. Government is the problem. The people are the solution. And then Ronald Reagan grew the government. I don't know the exact uh, exact statistic, but immensely, uh, specifically when he doubled down on the war on drugs and things like that that were started under Nixon. The final one here in the American dream, economy and jobs, freedom in the workplace, which is sort of a clever way of saying they can discriminate against people they don't like. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, freedom in the workplace means discrimination in the workplace. And I'm sick of it. You know, I was I was I was tall shamed. <laughs> I've been tall shamed a lot. I really have. Been. What did you not fit into? Oh, the kitchen. <laughs> you know, I was I was in the kitchen. Uh, this was at uh, at News Corps. You know, there's a lot of scandal going around there right now. And the scandal no one's talking about is when they made me take all the free- frozen goods out of the freezer because I was the only one that could reach. How high is the freezer? It's a high freezer. <laughs> well, you know, it's not about the height of the freezer. It's about the depth. Oh, yeah. So I'm really in, getting back getting in there. Getting in there, yeah. I walk in. I mean, there is a high-powered person in. I'm not going to say who it was. Maybe it was Shepard Smith. <laughs> high-powered person in News Corp, in the, in the uh, kitchen. And they're digging around frozen burritos, no. and they're trying to find room for their—I don't know what they brought in—ice cream sandwiches. Maybe it's—it was actually a—it was looked like a split pea soup type thing in the freezer. They were putting it in the freezer to theoretically <laughs> freeze it, and they said there's too much stuff in here, and uh, they they couldn't get it all out. And then sure enough, 
I did. Much like how I found that rooster and I got the rooster out of the top of the barn back when I was a child. <laughs> So that's the beginning there. That is the restoring. <laughs> oh, no, you want to talk about the American dream, fishing roosters out of barns. No, that's the American dream. Uh, I did it, my friends. So that's number uh, that's number one, economy and jobs. Some of their ideas, and of course, just the brief bullet points that we're going over, it all sounds good in theory. Well, how does it actually look in practice is another situation altogether. And, of course, these bullet points, a lot of times once you read what these actual, what the platforms actually are the bullet points they can mean anything to anyone of course they're putting this stuff up there like you know you see prison reform uh which i'm sure we'll talk about yep. later uh what they actually say when they say prison reform what prison reform means to me means com- something completely different yep. to somebody on the uh, to a conservative well we'll talk about it i actually have to give the conservatives some credit this is the first time prison reform has been on their dockets and it was a big step in the right direction the fact that the conservatives in this nation are actually officially realizing that we have a problem with our prisons. You know, 6% are privately owned. The amount of individuals going to prisons and tearing apart the fabric of families, which is something that Republicans constantly harp on about how that is how you create a good society is by having strong families. And there's no doubt they have come around to the idea that when people get torn away from their families and they leave a child at home, fatherless or motherless, that kid is much more likely to get wrapped up in the system and go to prison themselves. So at the very least, the Republican Party is dipping their toe Mm -hmm. in the idea that we might have a problem with our prison system. But we'll go a little bit more into detail on what they actually say. Let's get to what Republicans, uh, let's get to what I would consider their Achilles heel. And our friend Kat Timp uh, regularly states it, and I believe Marcus would agree, and I agree, that if they continue to hold on to these social conservative values, like we mentioned earlier, we will not see another Republican president. No. Renewing American values. This is number two. Number one bullet point. Can you guess what it is? Is it more water parks for everyone? <laughs> is, it, <laughs> is it extra fun beaches? No, it's preserving and protecting traditional marriage. Which their idea here is, uh, it, the term traditional, in my opinion, is extremely weighted. What does that mean? Does that mean man is the ha- uh, head of the household, the mother stays home and takes care of the finances, theoretically, where the father works and the mom takes care of the kids? That in itself is an atrocious idea. I mean, if if the woman doesn't want to live like that or if the father doesn't want to live like that. Yeah, and, it's totally fine if you want that to be your life. That's absolutely your right as yeah. an American. Whenever I have kids, my wife is working, I'm working. You know who's the, you know who's the dad? The dog. And then my kid <laughs> then my kid gets to grow up with dog dad and he's going to have so much fun and they're going to eat on the floor and my dad, my, my, my kid will be like, dad, you're the best but you're not as good as dog dad. And I'll be like, I know because dogs are amazing. Dog dad is huge. I love dog dad. Dog dad is going to be the next biggest thing. Yeah, you, you got know? a kid out there, you know, you're about to have a kid, try out Dog Dad. Just for a day. Yeah, listener Anno, he's about to have a kid, he's got a dog named Dahmer, let Dahmer be Dog Dad. Boom! <laughs> Dahmer the Dog Dad sounds horrifying, but I still like the idea. <laughs> Anno, for those don't, uh, for those listening, I want to apologize publicly for me <laughs> embarrassing you at our LA show when we did the last podcast on the left live. You were in roast mode. I was roasty. <laughs> I had a couple of beers and I felt I was I was <laughs> I was a real roaster there. All uh, right. So I apologize if I offended anybody. I think everyone knew it was in good fun. Of course. And this preserving and protecting traditional marriage. Of course, they don't mention gay marriage once in the whole thing. Right. And what they tend to harp on, which is really strange, is they they they're harping on um 
parents not getting divorced. They're harping on the family staying together. They only say one man and one woman once. They say, we recognize and honor the courageous efforts, talking about single parents, the courageous Mm. efforts of those who bear the many burdens of parenting alone, even as Mm. we believe that marriage, the union of one man and one woman, must be upheld as the national standard, a goal to stand for, encourage, and promote through laws governing marriage. And you could argue this is not social conservatism like we were talking about earlier is not the strong suit of Donald Trump. Caitlyn Jenner, for example, uh, gave a speech at his convention, which I, I, I joked about on Kennedy a few months back, talking about how Caitlyn would probably be at his uh, GOP RNC convention if he was nominated. And sure enough, uh, she was. So Trump does not he th- this is not a main concern for him. He's a New York real estate mogul. I think he knows quite a few people that don't fit the mold of a Southern conservative. I would say so. And it seems like the Republicans are kind of starting to reach out Slow. of of really start slowly start because you heard Rudy Giuliani in in his rousing speech. Uh, you heard speech him, of the night. <laughs> you heard him say that you know police departments because of course the uh, Monday night the whole uh, theme was make America safe again. Yes. Uh, And you heard him uh, talking about police officers and saying that police officers are there to protect people regardless of their race, religion or sexual orientation. He said sexual orientation very clearly. He said from uh, what was it? From the top to the bottom to the middle to the side. Oh, yeah. That's how he likes <laughs> to have sex, too. <laughs> uh, but they're slowly, and they, you know, and of course on, on Monday, they also mentioned uh, black Americans a lot more mm. than they ever have in the past. They're starting to dip their toe a little bit more uh, into the rest of America because they don't, they know that they're being known. They know that they're known as the party of white people, uh, yes. which they are. they are. They are. And of course, they have to try to reach out because they've lost the Hispanic vote completely. Completely. Like, I mean, they've lost it. It's done. Uh, H.W. or W. Bush, rather, got 44% of the Hispanic vote. Republicans, and we've mentioned this on the show previously, the Republicans thought they were making some massive inroads with the Hispanic community because they are, ironically, much more socially conservative than uh, than other minority groups. Oh, without a doubt. Um, so the Hispanics were, I mean, the Republicans are just like, come on over, you're Catholic, you have 10 kids, you fit right into our mold, and then Donald Trump called them all rapists. Um, so that did not <laughs> Believe it or not, did not go over very well. Um, they, this is one area that I do like. They want to um, they emphasize adoption and foster care. Coming from a family of foster care, I think that's one of the good things that the Republican Party um, emphasizes. Although, again, uh, you could argue that they don't do a lot for um, incentivizing families to take in children from foster care, and they don't exactly give a lot of um, financial help to children who are in need of being adopted. But of course, in all of the adoption and foster care stuff, they all they it's all faith based. Yes, you know that's what they bring in with all any sort of counseling, any sort of help that they have for these people. It's all faith-based, uh, which I think very much interferes with, you know, freedom, you know, the separation of, of church and state. Uh, I don't think yeah. that, I don't, I really don't think that we, they should be specifically faith-based because I think it's fine it if, but I mean, I religion can do so many terrible things. Can they do one nice thing maybe? You know what? I think it's fine that faith-based is, uh, that faith-based organizations are a part of the sure. platform. I just don't think that they should be the focus. I don't no. think they should be the only one ones that do it are you kidding me marcus this is insane if you are up for adoption right now you're going to be crossing your fingers being like i hope i go to a satanist house 
yeah, get to live like uh, yeah, LaVey. That's, no, that's, that's, a, that's a faith group. Yeah, I know, no, the that, Church of Satanism is theoretically an institution of faith. Yeah, it technically is, but that's the thing. That's what Bill Hicks said. Send me to the Satanist family, the ones with all the good albums. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Mainly his own. <laughs> Um, okay, and one more bullet point here, and uh, and then and then the prison bullet point. So two more bullet points in this one. This was the strangest one that I had seen uh, so far. This is called making the internet family friendly. Number one, that is the most ridiculous thing of all time. Yeah. Making you can there are child locks put in place on every single computer. You can monitor your children's Google searches. There is more safeguards to make sure the internet is a safe place for children. Uh, for parents who have children than ever before. So I think it's a kind of a misnomer that somehow the internet is a dangerous place for kids. But here is the kicker, and I'm going to read this for you. And keep in mind, people like Sheldon Adelson from a huge casino state such as Nevada, there are people who get, they, those are the people who get these sorts of things put in. Yeah. So just keep that in mind. This is, this is the party platform when it comes to making the internet family friendly. Millions of Americans suffer from problems or pathological gambling that can destroy families. We support the prohibition of gambling over the Internet and call for the reversal of the Justice Department's decision distorting the formally accepted meaning of the Wire Act that could open the door to Internet betting. The Internet must be, sa must be a safe place for children. We call on service providers to exercise due care to ensure the Internet cannot become a safe haven for predators while respecting the First Amendment. So now they've gone from gambling. Now we're dipping our toe into pedophilia. They, and there wasn't any segue there. Because, no segue at all. <laughs> because it was it was just gambling, and then just suddenly the internet must be made safe for children. Because if you right. just read that as it's written, you're assuming that they say, like, you can't do gambling because the kid's on the internet. That's it. We call on service providers to exercise due care to ensure the internet cannot become a safe haven for predators while respecting the First Amendment rights. We congratulate the social networking sites that bar no sex offenders from participation we urge active prosecution against child pornography which is closely linked to the linked to the horrors of human trafficking current laws on all forms of pornography and obscenity need to be vigorously enforced the second half of that makes a lot of sense <laughs> yeah, and sure. why gam i mean sure yeah of course child pornography should be illegal yes you don't need to put that in your platform i mean they actually have to <laughs> All of these politicians probably should start doing that, by the way, <laughs> just to make sure you never know who's coming into these uh, who's coming into these parties. They're big tent parties. They are. So are the pants of the people watching the children. Um, <laughs> disgusting, disgusting people. So isn't that interesting? Bringing up gambling. And that is that is totally on purpose. Again, yeah. that is the Sheldon Adelson party uh part of the party making sure that internet gambling is somehow done away with meanwhile states have gambling scratch off tickets me mega bucks million balls whatever they're held whatever they're held they're called and they prey on the poor under the idea that they can achieve the american dream one scratch off at a time yeah so it's one of those great ironies and it's a total lie the government should never be involved in regulating gambling, in my personal opinion. Well, I mean, I guess the only people that it really protects taking uh, gambling off the Internet, shut-ins. Because you shut-ins can, can make a lot of money gambling on the internet. <laughs> There's nothing wrong. I mean, they're taking away your their your fan duels and and whatever else. The, you know the the DraftKings. It's total nonsense. Yeah. It is just it's a government grab for cash. They're they're seeing money being made and they want to get their greedy, disgusting paws in it. And they write it under the guise that somehow this is gonna make the internet more family friendly. How many kids? How many six year olds are playing online poker, smoking cigars? <laughs> 
How many six-year-olds are like, I want to be a grumpy Italian uncle. I'm going to start internet gambling. It's a total lie. Under the, and that, I hate that when people put, the reason is the kids. Yeah, It's not the kids. It's no. because you want to have lockdown on the financials going into a huge market, and you want people to have to go to Vegas to gamble as opposed to do it at their homes in Des Moines. That's my little spiel on that. I get it. Thank you, Marcus. <laughs> All right, so that's that one. I, I just I cannot believe they had the audacity to tie in gambling and pedophilia as if these things are on the remotely close to the same plane of significance. Know. Isn't pedophilia a pretty big gamble, though? Look what happened to Jared. <laughs> you know? Isn't, I mean, you can't lie. It, it is a gamble. It is a gamble. That's true. Absolutely. You can't just, you know, go randomly... Meeting kids on the internet because the odds are that is an elderly FBI agent. However, if you are in the mood for a disgruntled 50-year-old FBI agent, tell him that you want a 13-year-old boy and you'll meet one. <laughs> Marcus, do you have it lined up when it comes to prison reform? I do. All right. So the uh, the last thing when it comes to the values is prison reform. And again, the Republican Party, uh, I think they're actually doing a good job making a step in the right direction. But Marcus, you have some issues. May I just read the uh, the first one here? Yeah. So one of the uh, after the uh, in the bullet point about midway through the, the the blurb here, liberals do not understand this simple axiom: criminals behind bars cannot harm the general public. To that end, we support mandatory prison sentencing for gang crimes, violent or sexual offenders against children, repeat drug dealers, rape, robbery, and murder. We support a national registry for convict uh, for convicted child murderers, yeah. which that's good. <laughs> I'm happy they came around to that. We oppose parole for dangerous repeat felons. Courts have the option of imposing the death penalty in capital murder cases. Okay, so that's a little bit more in line with their aggressive share of Joe Arpaio wing of the party. Yeah, I mean, I definitely have a problem with the mandatory. I mean, you have a problem with mandatory prison sentencing uh, in general. Absolutely. Uh, but I particularly have a problem with mandatory prison sentencing for gang crimes uh, because gang crimes a lot of times kids will get kids are just there you know like if, sure. if something happens uh, one kid like a, you say you get a group of five kids one of them's crazy does mm -hmm. something stupid and suddenly you've got four kids that are wrapped up in this whole deal just because one kid flew off the handle and all of a sudden all five of them are being charged with a gang crime and with murder there was a situation and I want to get I want to I'll comment on your gang idea too but really quickly, there was a situation in Chicago. Uh, I believe it was four kids. They robbed a bank or a store, whatever it might have been, a McDonald's, which is an American bank. And um, <laughs> one of the kids went away, and he shot an officer. Three kids were in the car. They were a couple of blocks away. Because they were all involved in the same crime that led the officer to the scene, all three of the kids that did not commit the murder were charged with murder, first degree. Everyone has come together. Everyone is... If, if everyone is um, I guess the the theory is birds of a feather, right? Mm. And so they're all charged with the same crime, and I think that is completely unfair. Yeah, I mean, there's a story after story of kids riding around. One kid is a fucking idiot. He pulls out a gun, and he shoots out the window, and then every kid in the car is made implicit because mm -hmm. they happen to pick up their stupid friend that night. Right. And the vast majority of these people are black. It does not. Yes. Ha it does not happen to white people anywhere near as much as it happens to black people, or at least it. Yeah, it no, just white people kind of get to occupy a huge national park in Oregon for a little while, and the, and the cops <laughs> are like, "How do we negotiate? Should we get them? Should we give them beef jerky? Yeah. Would that get them out?" 
Yeah, I mean, the, these things just don't happen to white. I mean, even though white people do the same, if not more, stupid shit than black people. I mean, we talk all the time about how white people actually use more drugs than black people, yet black people get uh, much more prison time for drug offenses than white people do. I want to say from a personal um, standpoint, I remember what happened. So basically, Stevens Point, Wisconsin, it's it's 99.9% white. During the Vietnam War, the Hmong uh, community helped us out. Hmong, H-M-O-N-G. Uh, they helped us fight the Viet Cong. And so we promised a lot of them citizenship. So they were sent over to the United States. They put them in Wisconsin because they lost um, the lottery. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, well, you can come to America. And I was like, oh, my God, Philadelphia, New York, L.A., Wisconsin. Was- what? <laughs> Yes, and so there was a huge influx of this of this culture, and it was interesting how all of a sudden we got a gang squad in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, and it was just because there were groups of Hmong kids, you know, six or seven deep, eight deep. Every time there was three or more young, young Hmong kids hanging out, it was a gang. Yeah. And the only difference between white groups of people hanging out and the Hmong groups of kids hanging out was race. Yeah. And a little bit more of a, um, obviously they were first generation um and their parents were immigrant, so there was a there was a sort of lack of understanding of uh, you know of of, of social norms. Uh, they would kill chickens in their backyard, for example. And people in Stevens Point were like, "You don't kill the chicken. McDonald's kills the chicken, and they give it to you on a bun." <laughs> so I you know so I definitely know exactly what you're talking about. The term gang can be really really awful. It's ex- it's extremely broad. It's not defined, and it's up to the court to decide. It's up to one judge to decide what is a gang and what isn't. Yes. Okay. So now, but going on to a little bit more of a progression of a progressive stance that the conservatives are trying to get, they continue on with uh, with saying, in solidarity with those who protect us, we call for mandatory prison uh, prison time for all assaults involving serious injury. This is a little bit more actually of their uh, of their hard line approach still involving serious injury to law enforcement officers. Criminals injured in the course of their crime should not be able to seek monetary damages from their intended victims or from the public. Well, getting criminals off the street is essential. More, this is where it gets a little bit more liberal. More attention must be paid to the process of restoring those individuals to the community. Prisons should do more than punish. They should attempt to rehabilitate and, in, and institute proven prisoner reentry systems to reduce recidivism and future victimization. We endorse state and local initiatives that are trying new approaches, often called accountability courts. Governments at all levels should work with faith-based, again, this is the faith-based institutions. Always. That, are, that have proven track records in diverting young and first-time nonviolent offenders from criminal careers for which we salute them. Police authorities must rega- regain control of, the, of their correctional institutions, for we cannot allow prisons to become ethnic or racial battlegrounds. Persons jailed for whatever cause should be protected against cruel or degrading treatment by other inmates. In some cases, the institution of family-friendly policies may curtail prison violence and reduce the rate of recidivism, thus reducing the enormous fiscal and social costs of incarceration. So this is a step forward for them. It is. I mean, it isn't just lock them, you know, lock them up and throw away the key, which has been the Republican platform for so long, the whole tough on crime thing. But on the other hand, uh, it was a part of the Democratic platform in the 90s as well, the whole super predator thing, the crime bill. Uh, this is, I guess, I, I'm. it seems like both parties are coming around uh, to prison reform. They've yes. seen a lot of the, they 
can no longer uh, ignore how big of a problem it really has become since the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. And they touch on that here. You know, uh, they, they discuss how there are just new laws now. The number of criminal offenses in the U.S. Code increased from 3,000 in the early 1980s to over 4,450 by 2008. So they are understanding the fact that we are just over-policed, there are too many laws, and this plays into their larger argument about how big government uh, is the problem. So at least they're touching on something that I think is a really serious issue, and I think that we can agree we need to get rid of some of these laws, and that's why I made a great sizzle called Lawbreaker. (laughs) Check it out on, on Google. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree that this is definitely a step in the right direction. I, I, I mean, besides uh, doing it just faith-based institutions, I do agree with uh, with a lot of what they're saying here. I think this is definitely a step in the right direction. Of, of course, you know, they're, they don't have a lot of steps in the right direction, but I'll give credit where credit is due. Absolutely. All right, so moving on. They have the other, uh, the other tenant of the GOP platform, America's Natural Resources. Uh, one of the bullet points, domestic energy independence in all of the above energy policy. That's something they've been discussing about with the Keystone Pipeline, with with uh, with fracking for in states like Wyoming. Uh, the girl that I'm seeing right now, her family is from Wyoming, and that state has made a lot of money off of fracking. So a state like that um, is really benefiting from uh, you know from uh, that way of of getting energy. And of course, you have the coal communities that that Hillary uh, Hillary completely isolated. Um, that, you know, just saying that she wants to put the coal companies out of business. So they want to go through, and uh, at the same time, um, you know, they, they're not necessarily opposed to some more clean energy ideas. So I understand what they're saying, and it plays into a huge core of their constituents, which is your working class uh, person out there, someone like a coal miner or someone who is making money off of fracking. Of course, we can see some major um, side effects to fracking, such as you can no longer drink the water as if you live in Flint. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that a lot more people are affected negatively by fracking than are affected positively. The people that are making money off of fracking, these are landowners. These are, are people who can actually bring a company to their uh, property and mine this stuff. And the runoff of all of this, of course, it makes everybody uh, around there, it makes their tap water flammable. Yeah, uh, but it's great for Dasani. <laughs> you got to buy it. Yeah, uh, I think a lot a lot of people are, are negatively affected by fracking. I think that is going to I think that issue is going to come up. Uh, oh, absolutely. It's definitely going to come up. I think the whole Flint water ha- crisis, I think a lot of this stuff is going to come in this election. Uh, but, you know, there's just so much stuff to talk about. Uh, actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, it's probably not going to come up in this no, election. No, it absolutely will because it actually it hurts Hillary. I think the Republicans are going to bring it up. When she told, I, I'm forgetting, it wasn't Wyoming. It might have been Montana. I'm forgetting the exact, exact state uh, that she was in when she said she was going to put the coal companies out of business. That state she lost, and she lost it very big for a very large reason because that's a huge part of those places' economies, and it matters. It's life and death to those people. Yeah. And yeah. they don't really care about the economy or the, the environment all that much because they're thinking about themselves, and that's how human beings work, right? I mean, one could argue that many Americans don't care about the environment. It's always one of the least talked about uh, issues yeah. on every single platform of every single presidential campaign. I oh, mean, my God. I watched that Simpsons movie from, like, what, eight, ten years ago where there's a dome put over Springfield? I was like, let me in. I don't know why the Simpsons were trying to get out. I want to dome this whole damn place. Dome it. Dome it up. Let's live like we are. Let's live like Schwarzenegger got to in Total Recall. Let's live in Biodome. Why not? <laughs> I want to be Brendan Fraser's character. No, he wasn't in Biodome. He was in Encino Man. Who was in Biodome? Polly Shore and uh, Stephen Baldwin. Stephen Baldwin. <laughs> mm, well, now I want to be Polly Shore. <laughs>
<laughs> I can't be a Baldwin. You got to be the weasel. Yeah. You got to look like Paulie Shore. Ah. Uh, that's is that bad? <laughs> Was that an insult? My girlfriend the other day said that I kind of looked like Richard Ramirez, and I would rather have Richard Ramirez than Polly Shore. Oh come on, <laughs> that's not right. All right. So uh, and then of course they want to rein in the EPA and uh, in institutions like that. The EPA is a bit of a corrupt government institution. Don't even get me started. I remember when we went to Washington D.C. I booed it. You <laughs> Damn right. I couldn't figure out why. The one thing you wanted to do was go by the EPA <laughs> and boo them. And it was a Sunday, by the way. No one was there. No. <laughs> I, well, I don't want to boo people going to work. I just want to boo the building. Boo the building. You got to, okay, I'll give you that. You can boo the building. Yes, we did. <laughs> I did. I gave it two thumbs down. You gave it two thumbs down. I was mm. just like, come on, Ben. We got to go see Fonzie's jacket. And we did not. We did not. It's in storage. Ah, oh, that was sad. But we did get to see Abel against Top Hat. Yeah. And we saw, where was that, the uh, Smithsonian? Yeah. Smithsonian? <clears throat> I have to do a tongue exercise. Betty Butter bought some butter, but she said this butter's bitter. Ooh. If I put it in my batter, will it make my butt bigger? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I think I changed the end of there. <laughs> All right, moving on. So they they also want to do a thing called reforming, reforming government to serve the people. Uh, let's see. This is basically, this is where they get into their taxes, uh, judicial activism, which is a threat to the U.S. Uh, Constitution. Of course, anytime a, uh, you know, a, a member of the Supreme Court or any member of the judiciary comes on the side, comes out, weighs in on the side of an argument that they disagree with they call it judicial activism and whenever they agree with them believe it or not they're just towing the line constitutionally perfect oh, of course they are uh, they want to uh, the rule of law le they brought in legal immigration here um, and of course they also want to honor our relationship with American Indians which is a very interesting bullet point that they kind of shoehorn in to be like get all the illegals out but we want to bond with the American in Indians but by their first tenant we gotta go <laughs> we kind of gotta get on out of here I mean that is something that that is uh, an issue that most politicians don't uh, address whatsoever we actually here at Cave Comedy Radio we have a surprisingly large amount of Native American listeners uh, oh. that listen all in a lot of reservations all around the United States. Uh, and we hear a lot from these people that these reservations, they're essentially third world countries. They don't yeah. have jobs. They don't have safe drinking water. They have no opportunities whatsoever. Uh, they are, I mean, horrific places that of which there is very little escape for a lot of them. Uh, well, and this is something that I think that absolutely needs to be addressed and never, ever ever is and they get i mean and the reason that they don't have jobs is because they are given the majority of things from the federal government there's a great documentary out right now called poverty inc i believe it's a couple of years old but i just watched it so it's new to me and it basically discusses how the problem with the economies of the world that we just give things to it makes there's no possibility for competi uh, competition so if you're a poor african country and unicef has given you nonstop rice for free forever there used to be a rice farmer that would have a job he had a farm, he would hire people, or she would hire people, and that would stimulate the economy, and they would have their own uh, world. You know, they had their own class of, uh, they had their own government, they were running their own lives. And so what happened with the Native American community is the exact same thing. The government gave them everything, there is no incentive to work whatsoever, and the, and the things that we allow them to have control over is things, ironically, like gambling, and, uh, it, and we put them into a position, the only power that they have is in a, uh, is in a field that is mildly deemed inappropriate or, you know, uh, deemed a bit of a, uh, you know, a, a vice. 
It, I mean, it's the exact same thing that you have with minority groups, um, such as, you know, you, you look at, uh, you know, drug dealers and things like that. There might not be, and, you know, rappers, rappers, they sing about this all the time. You can go get a job at McDonald's. You can go get certain, you can get, you can get hired at certain places. You're making nothing. If you're a drug dealer, you're making bank money. All of the incentive is in things that is illegal, and then that is hence the uh, you know. And then of course they just get picked up by the prisons, and they get they get run into the system. And so it's a whole it's this perfect storm of events. So the the, the Native American populations, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, uh, you know, message us. Um, but I believe they've been given so much from the federal government. There is no, but there there is no actual institution for them to uh, to apply any skills to. See, I'm not sure if they get a whole lot. I think they do get assistance from uh, the federal government, but I think it is very little. Uh, I think that uh, I mean, because I do know that that a lot of uh, like most Native American reservations, it's extreme poverty. Uh, absolute extreme poverty. Like these people well, that's are not what, living large. You know, well, they're right. they are. Yeah, it is. It is absolute extreme poverty. Uh, but, but this is. But that is the thing. That is the government forcing them to maintain impoverished in order for them to get the small things the government is giving them. Paul Ryan talks about this, and this is one tenant where this is one thing where conservatives need to clarify their message. We talked about this before the show markets. Let's just say someone makes twenty thousand dollars a year. You get a, and you have uh, three children. You get certain benefits at twenty thousand dollars a year with three children right now if you make twenty thousand dollars and one hundred twenty one hundred dollars as opposed to twenty thousand dollars all of your benefits are cut your life hasn't changed at all you still got these three kids so at the bottom the at the end of the day in order for you to make uh ends meet you have to maintain a level of uh you know a financial level in order to re receive the free goods yeah so it, there is no incentive for people to get out of poverty and that's the one thing that republicans have to really make people understand is that these democratic policies, a lot of these liberal policies are there in order to maintain a voting block and maintain a constituents, uh, constituency that it needs the government teat for them to survive. And that it just, that's just the machine politics of the left that I completely disagree with. Well, how do you, like, how do you reboot that system? Well, that's the question, yeah. you know, and then, and, and that those are, I mean, I would, because you take all of that away and you've got, you've got a lot of problems. Well, what has to happen in Republican constantly say it and again how does that happen jobs is the answer right you have so we have to go through and put america to work put america to work make america first very <laughs> underhill and trump so you could also but the sad thing is it plays into a lar much, much larger problem. We've talked about this, too, the automation of, of businesses, right? We have the fight for the minimum wage, which in theory I am very much for, but then you have the situation where these jobs are just going to automate everything, and these people are going to be completely unemployed, and it's going to be taken over. It's not immigrants taking your jobs. It really will be robots taking your jobs. So if there's not a job for you to get, it really does just maintain a very negative status quo, and those are where the tough, tough conversations have to be had. You're right, Marcus. What is the answer? Yeah. I mean, do we ban companies from automating? Do we do is is there? Do we guarantee a uh, you know? Do we put a minimum wage in place and force uh, industries to have a certain amount of humans working for them? I mean, is that what it's going to have to take? Because there is no denying that these CVS self checkouts, for me as a consumer are kind of easy, although I hate to feel like a bag boy. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I but, was a know. bag boy when I was, I was 14. A bag boy. I worked at Wendy's. <laughs> I worked at Lawrence Brothers I Supermarket. Worked I worked at Taco Bell, Wendy's, Pizza Hut, and uh, Papa, no, not Papa John's. Ooh. Yeah, that would have been sweet. That would have been good. Yeah. Burger King? 
Got it? <laughs> RB Sabaros. Yeah. I, I mean, anyway. a, a one possibility, you know, and, and I don't know if this, if, this is a, a, if this is something that could actually happen or if this is something that goes against uh, American values, uh, is the reason why they're automating because, they, you know, these people at the top make so much money and they don't want to stop making that amount of money. You know, they yep. don't want to stop making millions upon millions of dollars a year. But if you incentivize, if you put a cap, a salary cap on CEOs, uh, then it will incentivize them less to automate everything because they're automating these things because they want to keep their salaries as high as possible. But mm. if you get someone having, a, a, if you have someone, a CEO, say you cap it at $10 million. Mm-hmm. Let's say $10 million. Say someone right now is getting paid $30 million. That's $20 million that can be used to pay the actual employees. And Maybe. Like, or, like I'm saying, I'm not yeah. sure if that's actually, if that is something that we want America to be, well, but it is a solution. You know what you sound like right now? Vladimir Putin, my friend. <laughs> that is what, but the, the, the key is then, again, if the government would take, let's say you have an extra $30 million bucks. Is it going to the people, or is the government taking it up under the guise of making, of putting it into a uh, a fund for the poor? And at the end of the day, it's going to be a bunch of NGOs, and it is going to be a bunch of people that flourish from poverty, people that get cash from poverty. The poverty business is huge. Will it ever end up going to the people? Well, I'm not saying that it goes back to the government. I'm saying that it goes back into the business. But how does it go? Sure, I see what yeah, you're saying. So yeah. the business, it's like, it, okay. yeah, it goes back into the business, where of course, like you have a salary cap of, of ten million dollars a year it goes back into the business of course there would be a thousand loopholes that they could use to bring that money back to themselves they could pay whoever they wanted to i mean there's a thousand loopholes but the idea is that it goes back into the business and it goes into the pockets of american people directly it comes directly from their paychecks uh it doesn't come from the government it doesn't come from government government assistance these people work and they get paid a fair wage all right so that's a great conversation and uh, go to the a Lincoln, uh, Abe lincoln's top hat Facebook page and uh, continue that conversation because those really are the questions. Um, how are we going to get people to work? And because the Republicans have their ideas, the liberals have their, uh, the Democrats have their ideas, and neither of them are going to work on their own. Of course. There has to be a, com- we have to get uh, that great purple area in the middle. And uh, by the way, if uh, what I just talked about, if you're a, someone who knows a lot more about economics than I do, because I will sure. not say I am an expert on economics no. whatsoever, I'm just spitballing here. If there is something about that argument uh, that is fatally flawed, then please go to our Facebook uh, page, tag me, uh, let us know. No tag both of us, mm-hmm. and we'll get a conversation going there because I, I would re- I would really love to know uh, if that is feasible at all. Man, that issue is, is just so big. I mean, we, and that is no one is talking about uh, the automation uh, angle of that. Anyway, we have to move on. Um, all right, so the next one is uh, a restoration of constitutional government. This is basically this is where they get into their again defense of marriage acts, uh, federalism in the tenth uh, tenth amendment. Tenth amendment again just basically means states' rights. Federal government should stay out of things. Um, they talk about uh, First Amendment speech is protected, Second Amendment speech, Fourth Amendment speech, and uh, those things. So that's a very uh, standard Republican line that has never really changed. And to some degree, uh, thank God for that. And then finally, they get into uh, American exceptionalism, which is basically um, it, it is a it is a bit of a, a coded term for nationalism, mm-hmm. um, but it, it is just talking about supporting our troops. Um, an America that leads, and of course that is a straight diss on Obama's foreign policy, co- coalition uh, foreign policies, which haven't really worked. As a matter of fact, uh, Putin is taking over the Middle East, but in a strange way, 
um, someone like a Donald Trump loves someone like a Vladimir Putin. So you get the feeling that he thinks he can work with Putin uh, in order for both of us to take over the Middle East and in random things like that. He's in cahoots. They, they love each other. Trump is in cahoots with uh, with Vladimir Putin. I mean, there are a lot of people on Trump's team that actually get money from Russia. Uh, they're, uh, they are intrinsically linked. They want to be brought together. Putin wants a Trump presidency. He would love it. Well, you know, man, we talk about we, we have less religion in this nation than ever before. And there is more um, there are more people looking for answers and there's more people looking for identity than ever before. And that goes to whatever orientation you want to call yourself. Uh, you know, I mean, even someone like a Elizabeth Warren claiming that she's Native American because she's 128th Native American. It's offensive on every level. People are constantly looking for something in order to identify themselves in the sea of humanity. You know, and that's that is very American individualism. I mean, you look at the Chinese. There are there are men and there are women. Yeah, that's it. You know, if you're filling out a college application, it's not a huge, uh, you know, checklist of possibilities. Yeah, you know, you're not making your own burrito. Yeah, you speak Mandarin and you speak Cantonese. That's Uh, it. Yeah. So um, I think na- and I think that plays into the rise of nationalism right now. People looking for that ad- uh, identity, looking for the reason um, to live, a reason, you know, something to call themselves that gives themselves self-worth. Yeah. And a lot of people are going towards nationalism, and that is one of the slippery slopes towards a dictatorship, because if we look at what happens, obviously, with uh, with Russia and, you know, with other um, nations around the world, dictatorships are nothing but national. They are nationalism personified, and the people that like Putin in Russia are loving every day. Anyway, that, so that plays into this uh, American exceptionalism notion of the Republican Party, that they're hitting home very hard in the RNC. They're talking about nuclear forces and missile defenses, uh, make them imperiled, uh, you know, a, a 21st century threat, the cyber the cybersecurity danger. I mean, they really are getting into a lot of the military things here, and of course, again, protecting our vets and strengthening ties in the the Americas. Um, so that's basically those are those are the six main tenets right now that the re, the Republicans are discussing at their RNC convention. We'll go through the same tenets for the Democrats um, as well, and you know, so that gives you a little insight in their platform. I think the Republicans, they're some very traditional ideas. What really worries me is again the uh, that. The internet idea of, of you know making it safe for children. Everyone loves that in theory, but what are they actually saying? Yeah. And um, and you know, let us hear your thoughts about what you think about the platform. I think they're making some headway on the prison, uh, massive prison problem. Um, and so maybe they and maybe they can. Maybe Trump could actually do something good when it comes to getting them a little bit off um, the very traditional rules and rigid society they they see as far as social conservatism goes. Mm-hmm. So maybe Trump can help a little bit with that. So uh, all right, well that's today's show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I think they did, Marcus. I think they did. Do they? It's hot as hell in here, by the it's way. It's very warm. Yeah, we're in the middle of a bit of a heat wave here in New York City. Oh right my now. God! Speaking of total recall, I mean, I, you're wearing a cardigan. It's a thin one. <laughs> Maybe the problem is I'm a little fat. No, sad. I think the problem is you're wearing a cardigan. Oh yeah, yeah, could be. <laughs> um, all right. Well, like Marcus said, uh, and I said, go to the Facebook page, uh, Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. Let us know what you think, and you can follow Marcus Parks on Twitter and on Instagram at Marcus Parks. I'm on Twitter at Ben Kissel, and on Instagram, I'm at Ben Kissel One. And we have our live last podcast on the left show coming up here on Saturday. Yep, this Saturday. July, what is it, 23rd? And I think it's the 23rd, yeah. It's yeah. the fourth Saturday of every month here at the Creek in the Cave. Yep, Marcus, it's also my birthday. 
This Saturday? No, tomorrow. Oh, I didn't know. I know. <laughs> you don't like telling people. I Why are you telling people? Oh, edit it out. No. All right, Because everyone. that means that this will come out on your birthday. Oh, well, happy birthday. <laughs> Isn't that exciting? <laughs> um, all right, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com.